five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? Hello, and a very warm welcome to our weekly news review show on Colourful Radio, Five in the Eye. I'm Phil Woodford in London, and you're listening to episode 0314. And this is me, Michael O'Hajura, joining Phil by Zoom this week and revealing that we're welcoming a very special guest. Someone's been on the show a few times now, so we feel we should officially appoint him as our South African Bureau Treef. It's Temba Robin Behrens. Hi there, Temba. Hi, Michael. Hi, Phil. Um, thank you for that uh, that honour, the title. I, I shall I, I shall have a plot. No, no money, no money comes with this appointment, Temba. We have to say. <laughs> hence, hence me sponsoring my own plaque for my desk, I believe. But uh, thank you, guys. It's good to be back on Five in the Eye. And greetings from Johannesburg. Um, I can reveal to you that our top story is going to be an update on two big stories in South Africa that are that are going on right now. Um, the first of all is the upheaval and disturbances following the jailing of former President Jacob Zuma, and then obviously the ongoing crisis caused by coronavirus. Five in the Eye. For story number two. It's the aftermath of Euro 2020. After the heartbreak last weekend when England lost to Italy, some leading players were subject to racist abuse. It led to a pointed confrontation between Tyrone Mings and the Home Secretary Priti Patel. And what's story number three? Well, we're used to everything being cleaned down constantly and keeping sanitary during the COVID pandemic. But does it really serve any purpose in controlling the bug? Scientists think the coronavirus is unlikely to spread via surfaces. So are we witnessing what some call hygiene theatre? And our fourth story, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle have been awarded £500 um, as a prize for agreeing to only have two children. Is their decision really worth recognition? Hmm. And finally, to wrap up the five, it's the guy in America who discovered a bowling ball hidden underneath his house and then went on to discover 159 more. (laughs) That's what I call... Would you like this stuff? That's what I call a strike. And that's this week's Five in the Eye. Five in the Eye. Well, we're going to start off this week by by um, getting an update from Temba on the situation in uh, South Africa. It's been very tense uh, this week because of the jailing of the former president, Jacob Zuma, uh, on corruption charges. And uh, his supporters... Uh, have been angered. Um, There have been confrontations. Um, People, unfortunately, uh, tragically have died. There are food shortages. Um, Temba, can you give us some of the background to this? I mean, what is it that, uh, that people are feeling so animated about and what's your own personal situation uh, based in, in Johannesburg? Okay, cool. So I think there's there's a lot to lot to cover um, on on that one. So the the basic crux of the situation is uh, the former president Jacob Zuma um, was found in contempt of court, and uh, a couple of weeks ago he was um, uh, yeah he was said to be arrested and he'd have to spend fifteen months in prison. Um, so that was the first sort of big. Um, moment where the nation was watching because nobody really thought he would get sent to prison sort of thing and it's 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 a big thing because it means a lot for our constitution this is a gentleman who has had dirty dealings with so many other countries and he's just you know filled his pockets um with with millions and millions and billions of of the countries of the country's money 
And so, you know, we all really want to see him go to prison, a large part of the population. But then what happened is, much to all of our joy, he got sent to prison and they picked him up and he, he went in. And the nation, or at least the, the part of the nation that supports him, have gone to the streets and they've pretty much looted everything. Now, the there seems to be maybe a bit of confusion as to whether these chaps are actual Zuma supporters or not, because they've looted shopping malls. Um, the big thing, there seems to be only three things on the agenda, and that's to loot um, appliance stores. So you have these guys walking the streets. And I mean, they don't have vehicles or anything. They've got trolleys and they've got three 70-inch televisions on, you know, worth a good two, three thousand pounds each. And they're strolling down the road and then they're looting the booze uh, stores. So that's the other thing. And food stores. So the, the argument is, you know, if they feel so passionately about all of this and, you know, they're burning stores to the ground, they loot them and then just um, burn them. So it's billions of rands, um, local small businesses and, you know, black and white owned. So, Nobody really knows where they they don't seem organized, so to speak. It just it seems like a couple of opportunists. So, so you, you could say that there are some people, Temba, who have kind of seen an opportunity with the Zuma case to maybe just pursue their own personal agenda and they're not particularly politically motivated. But there must be a hardcore of people, I guess, who who think that. Cyril Ramaphosa, the current president, somehow is, has it in for Zuma, and uh, and there is a kind of factional split within the ANC and so on. Is that right? Yes, yeah, I think that's that's a hundred percent. It's I think the rest of the country um, is sort of standing back, and we don't know what to make of this whole situation because it's got nothing to do with us, so to speak. Um, it's it's just it's one hundred percent a split of the the ANC. Um, there's a Zuma house and a Ramaphosa house, and the Zuma house is saying, let him out. Otherwise, we're going to carry on looting and all the rest. And I don't know if they're just piggybacking on what's happening. It's, it's sort of a perfect storm that's been formed. Um, and we've often put the argument, we say, well, guys, if you want him out so badly, go to the prison. You know where the prison is. Go and storm the prison and get the man out. But they don't. They go to the stores and destroy businesses. Temba, I'd like to just explore this, what you call this split, this uh, Zuma Ramaphosa split split isn't it a bit isn't it to do with with education employment status in society zuma as i understand it was non-educated but a self-made man and if if i think in terms of nigeria terms we talk about him as an oba a big man who delivered for his people whereas ramaphosa is kind of old school anc in terms of you know, creating this black middle class and we'll all work together and we'll, and we'll bring everybody up together. But let me rebut, as I understand it, Ramaphosa never delivered. They still got unemployment. There's, there's talk of starvation in some places. So Ramaphosa has failed. No, Zuma did something, he had to deliver for some people. Yeah, I think I think the ANC as a political party has has failed for a considerable number of years. I could say they've They've failed for 20 years, if not 30 years, consistently. Um, the problem is the nation's getting more and more tired. And we want people to be brought to book. 
And so the, the ANC faces a tough task where they have to bring people to book, but still keep the dodgy relationships that have been built over the past three decades. So whereas Mr. Zuma's kind of got everybody in his pockets because they've all eaten from the poisonous pie kind of thing. Mm. And now you need to try and weed out the bad apples. But how do you do that without rocking the boat? But the people are demanding that you clean out. So, the, I mean, Ramaphosa is stuck between a rock and a hard place. He, he needs to bring in a new era without creating a storm on the other side. Tambak, let, let, me, let, me put, let me put this to you. Maybe the big man is the way Africa runs. The West may see it as corrupt and inappropriate, but if the big man delivers water for his village, he puts mm. roads, hospitals, people are fed, they've got jobs... You know, look at look 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 at Gaddafi in uh, Algeria. He, you know, he, he, the, the country was all. But when he when he when he disappeared, the country fell apart. He was keeping it together. Yeah, but Mike, Michael, I mean, we can't pretend, surely, that you know, thirty-two percent unemployment rates have just come out of the blue under Ramaphosa. I mean, surely there there is the legacy. There is the legacy of, of Zuma's era, anyway. No, no, still no, I, very I, I feel, very I understand real. that. I understand that. But but I'm I'm always I'm a little. You know, when the West gets all high and mighty and starts pointing the finger, I have to say, calm down. I, I, I think, I think just to jump in there, sorry, um, it definitely, this, this, this uh, situation we find ourselves in has been going, it, it is, we've been heading for this for 30 years. Um, the, the, when there was a changeover of power, there wasn't um, a motivation to step in. I think, you know, you, you, if you take over a car that's um, being maintained and everything, and you think, oh, you know, I'll, I'll skip a few services because it's been looked after, um, you know, one or two services, it won't be a train smash. And then all of a sudden, everything starts going wrong and you don't have money for the services. And so you keep making quick fixes, which has been going on. And now you've got a 10-year-old car with uh, slick tires you'll never have enough money to fix all of it but fixing it individually doesn't help either because one thing um, affects another thing kind of thing so essentially you've got uh, south africa which is a car with slick tires a busted engine you drive 10 meters it overheats the windscreen's cracked and we don't have money to fix it all at the same time so well, I mean, the busted the busted engine is also an issue, isn't it, when it comes to vaccination against COVID, Temba, because yeah. vaccination rates in South Africa seem to be frighteningly low. Um, and the Delta variant, just like it has in the UK, is taking off, except here we have some, I mean, p- people might say what we're doing next week is is reckless, but we have some degree of protection against Delta, whereas actually your hospitals are becoming overwhelmed again, aren't they? 100%. So I think one, one, the, the second point that we wanted to touch on was an update um, on the sort of the coronavirus status. And it's almost comical to say that almost a year later, I can't remember which month exactly we spoke for the first time. Um, we are in exactly the same place. We are, are locked down. I think we're on level four rather than level five, as was last time. But the alcohol has been banned again. So I work in the alcohol trade. So I didn't work for the first 14 days, which is exactly today. And then on Sunday, they announced that the, the uh, alcohol ban will run till the end of the month. Um, so that's a whole month of no trade for anyone in the alcohol industry. It affected restaurants. Restaurants were closed for 14 days again. Um, and it's, it's all spirals from the fact that the vaccines haven't been 
they haven't been purchased correctly. We missed one of the payments. Um, then we bought a, lot of, a whole lot of vaccines from India and they were close to expiring. I think they had like a week left. So I don't know if our politicians took a really good deal. Um, <laughs> sort of, this is near expiring, but we'll give it to you at a great price. Um, so, you know, and it's a continuous mismanagement of, of cash flow. Um, equal, not, not funny, but just to give you a mind or put you in this sort of mindset, we needed to pay Microsoft Ireland um, 20 million rand the other day. Now, the procurement department, or whoever takes care of this in Gauteng, um, which is our province, um, paid them $20 million uh, instead, and then only figured it out a few days later. And the exchange, um, to put it into just context, is 20 million rand is what we should have paid, and we end up paying 300 million rand. So it's somewhere around about. By mistake. So <laughs> um, That's a costly so, error. You, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, I've got to say, was it a mistake? Well, we, we did get it back, but our <laughs> exchange rate had um, played its part. We only we made a loss of about 6 million rand sort of thing we, we lost. But you, you can see, so with that administration in place, with something as delicate and essential as a vaccine rollout, um, you know, you have timing issues. You, you need to make sure that you are able to pay the finances on time. We've just missed the boat every time. So, um you know, with that, a lot of the people have lost confidence. So, Tim, I saw that in the crowds, in the riots, there was no, um, the, 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 there was nobody wearing headgear, um, masks. They seemed to, no. there was a, okay, it was a few, but they seemed to be just, there's no social separation. They were just all in there doing their business. As you say, getting the TVs on their back and running out or fridges on their head. The mask, the I idea see. of the mask and social separation, gone. It, it it really is. So it makes you wonder what what the, what those people think of of uh, COVID nineteen sort of thing, because you know generally and in the informal areas the guys kind of just get on with their day. Um, I think it's it's an unfortunate thing, but the plight of Africa has just always been. You know, we we're always facing new diseases, so it's nothing new for most people. They're just like, oh well, there's another thing that can potentially kill us. But at a personal Tim, level, at a personal level, Temba, do you, do you think there's a likelihood of you getting a vaccine anytime soon? <laughs> well, I don't know. They actually they they vaccinated a whole lot of prisoners the other day, so I seem to be behind the prisoners in the <laughs> priority list. Um, so the the they've opened up the door for the age group of 35 to 40. So they've moved down. Um, unfortunately for me, I, I'm only 31, so I'll wait for one more group down. Um, but you know, there's there's lots of questions as to how the the vaccines are procured and 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 kept. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all these small things are are, are worrying. But um, you know, we'll see. Again, in light of this whole looting thing, I do believe uh, I did read that one of the vaccine storage centers was broken into also. So that could be another step back for for the rollout. Hang on, they did say they broke into a vaccine center. Uh, they broke into a, a blood donation. So we've got the South African National Blood Service. They've broken into two or three of their So branches. what's the intention? They're going to steal blood? They're going to steal vaccines? They're going to start administering their own vaccines and blood? I'm not too sure. I think there's, it's all equipment. It's all equipment and metals and, and that sort of thing. So <laughs> it's, it's the wild, wild west out here. And so just to, just to quickly tie up the Zuma thing is um, he's, his two children seem to be driving the, um, 
the enthusiasm, so to speak, um, to loot and, and carry on. And they, they're somewhat inciting violence, if I can say that, without getting myself in trouble. So they'll have a couple of uh, um, uh, cases against them for inciting violence and that sort of thing. So mm. uh, it's, a, it's a big mess. It's a very big mess. Mm. I'm sure we're going we're gonna to come back to this, Tim, but I'm sure yeah. I'm, I'm follow up with you <laughs> in the future, I'm sure. Live in the eye. I want to move on to story number two, which is a developing story, which should have been a, a, a story of, of, of not success, but of great, of heroic failure in, in Britain, in, in England, rather. Forgive me, forgive me, Scotland and Wales, in terms of England, where failing to win the Euros, despite making it to the, the, the finals at Wembley. You know, a great, a great opportunity for, to show the nation together, we we did okay. We didn't do the whole thing, but now nah, we we failed at the last the last hurdle, and it's all gone horribly wrong. There's just be it, instead of the story being one of heroic failure, it's been one of racist racism, and racism at all levels of society. We had Pretty Patel at the very Pretty Patel and Johnson at the start denying people, decrying it. They shouldn't take the knee. It's gesture politics. Yet these same people just of uh, 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 well, they've given license to the racism that we've seen on, on social media in an extraordinary level. And we've seen, um, well, they, they deface murals, and it's become a daily, daily, there's a daily stories of, of how, how we are seen as a racist society at all levels, from estate agents to under-18 footballers, well, yeah, there seems to be the remarkable number of people, Michael, who who suddenly claim that their Twitter accounts have been hacked yeah, mysteriously exactly. on the exactly. on, on the evening. They couldn't possibly have posted the things that they that they said. Exactly. I mean, so, you know, come on. I mean, we weren't born yesterday, were we? Um, no, 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 so, 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 Timber, I know I've got to I've got to say, have you sensed any of this? Has this been picked up in? Because this is big dailies leading the news here. Is it, in no, South no. Africa? Have you picked it up? Yeah, there's been there's been quite a bit of uh, discussion about it. Um, you, you know, I, the the racists um, elements and the the racism conversations are are really quite tiring. And I I tend to think of it like this: that these conversations, I always find it's the same crowd speaking about it. Though, you know, if there's a racist conversation going on, I seem to you know, within my network, it's the same people kind of thing that are always talking about it. And I, I know Morgan Freeman uh, has said out loud once or twice, you know, the best best way to deal with it is just stop talking about it. You know, you you give fuel to fire. But when it is on this level, I mean, th- this is a world stage almost. Uh, it's it's a different story. I mean, the, the, thing, the thing is, I mean, the, Michael, don't you agree that once again, you know, we see the worst of Britain, but we see the best of Britain? It's kind no, of... No, no, no. No, no, no. But no, we, 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 no. we don't look, look at the people who went to... That where market, no, no, Marcus right. Rashford's so, know, mural was defaced, know, and they, they want to restore it. No, we know those people... But what, what we're seeing here is this, you know, that Britain is not a racist country. Get real, it is. And it's yeah. not football. And, and this is what annoys me. And John Barnes has been speaking out about it. And the fact that we talk about kick, you know, kick race out of football. Racism is not in football. It's systemic in our society. You looked at the number of people that were, were on Instagram and Twitter. They were all, all parts of society. Yeah. You know? And to your point, yet they come up with this, well, my, my, my account was hacked. 
Well, I'd say there's a lot of hacking going on. A well, yeah, lot of hacking the, the, going the, on. The, the, there's this been this well-meaning campaign to say people who um, commit this racist abuse on social media should be banned from football events, and you know, I'm 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 absolutely fine with that. But a lot of them will never go near a football match. These are people who should be banned from the social media platforms because this is where they spread their poison. Um, I mean, the, the, the reality is it would be hurt these people a lot more if they weren't allowed on Twitter and they weren't allowed on Instagram with their racism. Yeah. Well, Phil, Phil, I'm going to put it out here very straight. This Andy Burnham said this, the, the mayor of Manchester. To get on social media, you've got to put your address down. We've got to know where you are. We've got to know who you are. You can't anonymously post or, or, or close that account and make another account and spread the, these lies, these heinous racist comments, and we don't know who you are. We've and Because and, the other side of the coin, and this is something that that's troubled me, we, there could only be a few of these people, in, in literally in a room in, yeah. in Manchester. 100%. <laughs> and, and they could be, they, 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 they're amplified. They're amplified. But... Personally, I think it's, it's more, it's, it's wider and deeper than that. And I think we're wrong to just attack football. And to your point, Phil, I'm sorry, banning them from, from a game or for life, irrelevant. We've got to get to us as a society. How do we address it as a society rather than just, just, just one football team? So, you know, you know, you had in, in South Africa, you had the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. You know, yeah. and it's always held up as a beacon of this is how it should be, uh, this is how it should be done. Did it really work? Did it really come through? Did it really deliver? I, I, I think, you know, just to expand on what you said, it, it's a handful of people who have been given the opportunity. This is the beauty of social media. It gives everybody an opportunity to have a voice. Back in the day, only few had the opportunity to speak and only few had the opportunity to be the microphone. Now everybody can speak. I, I still think if I look at my immediate circle, I know people who work day, day in and day out in office blocks with black and white people consistently, you know, they, they wouldn't say anything horrible about each other. And the scary thing is maybe they act like that in the day and then they go and type things horribly at night kind of thing. Um, so I definitely think the, the internet's a, a terrible place. It, it's um, a blessing and a curse, but I, I, I don't know how to, I don't know. I mean, just, just, I'm interested in perceptions from South Africa though, because, you know, I agree 100% with Michael. We've got a big, big problem, except we have a government that published a report not long ago that said everything was fine uh, and there was no real problem with systemic uh, uh, institutional racism in the UK. And everyone was kind of completely gobsmacked at that report, which uh, seemed to gloss over so many of the structural problems we know exist. I'm just interested, what's the perception from South Africa of the UK? I mean, do people see us as a society that would indeed have this, you know, this embedded problem of racism? Yes, I think I think um, those who con who are are actively concerned about racism, or um, you know, looking looking at it as 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 a problem on a daily, I think they assume everywhere is racist. We had a a rugby player from South Africa who was killed in um, America in the USA a couple of months ago, and that went straight from it just went straight into a racial um, debate. Um, 
So, you know, as South Africans, race relations is part of our everyday. And I think it's, we assume it's like that everywhere else. And there was a young lady that was uh, traveling in Germany and she got stopped and frisked. And she came onto, the, onto social networks in South Africa and said, you know, absolute disgusting treatment. And only because she was black. I, I've been through Germany. Um, I've been through an airport in Germany. <laughs> I've also been frisked and I've made, you know, made to feel bad, but I've, I think that's international travel. So I do think there's a lot of cases where people are just jumping to the race thing very, very quickly. And that's what makes the conversation tiring when, you know, conversations like this for the football are actually way more important. You know, for me, I, I, I'm going to go back over the, the, this point I'm, I'm making. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm laying it too much. But it's not football's problem. This is a society's problem. This is our problem. And we're making football the scapegoats. Yeah. And not looking at ourselves as a society, how we're going to deal with this, how we're going to work together, how we're going to make it better together. So I'd be looking for that kind of response from the government rather than, what, what was Johnson said, we're going to ban these people from football. We're going to make a law to ban, you know, and this is typical law at pace like this. Is normally bad law. Yeah, but I mean, in, in fairness, that, that there is a million-strong petition asking for exactly that, Michael, uh, which has been you know signed in the last few days in the UK. So people do want football authorities to take action. They do want the government to take action. But I'm with you. I think this is a bigger problem. It's a problem of society as a whole. It's amplified on social media. Football is just one setting in which this is played out. And the hooligan element connected with football is a particular problem in its own right anyway. This is another story, I'm afraid, that we're probably going to have to return to, whether we like it or, or not. But for the moment, we're going to have to move on to story number three. Five in the eye. And for our third story this week, do you feel safer if you go into a bar or a cafe and you see someone busily spraying the surfaces, getting rid of that corona? Maybe you go into the gym and uh, everyone's encouraged to clean the equipment before they get on it and clean it when they get off it. Well, if you think that it's keeping you safe, uh, there is a, a strong argument that maybe it's not because scientists increasingly through the pandemic have come to believe that it's very, very unlikely that people pick up coronavirus in this kind of way from surfaces, that it's much more likely to be caught through um, through the air and through um, you know breathing in someone else's uh, someone else's air and we are going through something which some commentators have described as hygiene theater almost little rituals that we do in order to make ourselves feel better and feel safer timber is, it, is this something you've observed in south africa with the coronavirus that people have become more obsessive about cleaning or doesn't it doesn't it feature so much in your society Oh boy, Phil, this is this is a goodie. Um, I was particularly excited about this uh, this 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 topic because we have the temperature checks. I don't know if they're still doing them in the UK. Yeah, we do. We'll yeah, some do. some places, some places. Yeah. So so the temperature checks are sort of a prerequisite to get across the threshold in any um, establishment, so to speak. So you get to a restaurant, you have your mask on you get into the establishment if your if your temperature's been checked and it is very much that if your temperature's been checked because it could be 32 degrees and they let you in it could be 28 degrees and they let you in so half the people don't know what they're looking for and then you know all these little things that they've put into place really don't mean anything and that makes you question 
you know, what's the wiping of the tables going to do? And the, the hand sanitizers, I don't think we've had any quality control um, as far as hand sanitizers go. I've had, I couldn't even describe to you what it was, it's like jello, um, you know, put into my hand and your hands are sticky for an hour afterwards. I don't believe that's eradicating any virus. If anything, it's doing the, the opposite. So I don't believe much in any of these efforts and I don't think many people do. So what about the mask? What about the mask then, Timber? Where are your masks? You have to wear masks in malls. Um, you're allowed to take them off in restaurants. But again, you know, people walk around the parking lot while they're getting their families out and everybody's got their mask off. And then you walk to the entrance of the restaurant, you put your mask on, they check your temperature and then you take it off once you're on the other side. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I've had, the, I've had the weird experience in the UK recently of actually going and running um, some sessions face-to-face because I'm a trainer, or run some sessions face-to-face. And it's brought me into contact with the kind of protocols of offices, which I haven't seen uh, during the pandemic. And there are these strange ideas, for instance, that if you're walking down the corridors in communal areas where you're meeting nobody, you must have the mask on. But when you go into a room where you're meeting lots of people, you can take the mask off. I mean, this seems <laughs> to me to be... A, <laughs> yes, exactly. Seems to me to be fairly crazy and at many levels, but people feel like they're doing something and you can tick a box and say that it's been been done. I mean, Michael, do you think that, um, are, are you pleased that people are, are spraying and scrubbing and keeping their hands clean and, and all the rest of it? Or do you think that we are going through some kind of theatrical routine? You know, that this, this really gets difficult, Phil, because there are, there are some protocols that make you feel safe. Yeah. And what you know, the evidence of hand washing or uh, sanitizing to, um, uh, points, taking the temperature, this means this establishment has thought it through, is aware of it. So it makes you feel more comfortable. Then your yeah. pop-up level uh, is wearing masks, you know, then, just, then it comes on to yourself, am I wearing a mask? You know, is it appropriate? You know, is it appropriate? Is it appropriate time to wear a mask, you know, like walking down a corridor or sitting down? Those things you can decide. But it's, it's the atmosphere around you in a building that gives you the confidence that to, to be feel safe. Can, can so, I so, so let, let me finish on this one. And I think there is a bit of a pantomime with it. But behind that pantomime, uh, that, uh, that establishment understands that your safety is important. So I would see those as little tick boxes to say it's it's safe to be here. And I've been in restaurants where they don't do it. I've been in shops where you don't, and you know, this is not quite right. You know, that the the sanitizing station is not well looked after. It's not well maintained. Mm -hmm. Or not all the staff are wearing um, the the mask properly. This is important. But you go into other restaurants and and establishments, and they're wearing it appropriately. So I think it's a bit... (laughs) You know, we call it hygiene theatre. I think we need it, Phil. I'm sorry, we do, because look, you know, look at the look at the figures this week for this this um, this Delta virus, the growth, and our factor between five and seven. You know, it's growing. The growth is enormous, and we're not talking about death now because the number of deaths has has fallen, and we've kind of weakened, but broken the link between COVID and death. But nevertheless, there's long COVID. This disease has implications. Mm. So I want to be in institutions or establishments that respect the, the, the hygiene factors that lessen the spread of this, this, this dreadful virus. 
Can I ask? So, yeah, of sorry, course. But, yeah, go just ahead. A, just a quick one on that. And I understand you're saying, you know, that, that feeling of safety is great and, and establishments need to bring that because that's the only way we're going to get customers back out and, and feeling like life is normal. But do you wonder, and this is maybe from a South African sense, is I think the guys tick the box by having a temperature check and a hand sanitizer. Whether the temperature check is accurate and whether the, sanita- the hand sanitizer works, we're not too sure. Now we have a situation where people feel like, oh, this is a safe place and they, be- they behave leisurely and maybe maybe spread it around as opposed to if i walked into a place and it maybe looked a bit dodgy i might keep a mask on and be like hang on i'm gonna have my alerts up and the likelihood is i won't catch it at the dodgy place because i kept my mask on i was like hang on these guys don't have it going on but the other place despite having ticked the safety boxes might have ruled me into a false sense of security um I don't know that's, that's a great point but i would just look at you know mental tick boxes you know the thermometer tick you know the hand sign of tick yeah. are the staff all wearing their mask properly not round them i see people with them under their nose <laughs> or around their ears you know yeah. I, and I, i'm not into these people wearing the, this face shield the face shields are, are totally inappropriate you've got to have a, yeah. a, a quality mask on you know it's a it's a tick box and then what some we've not talked about ventilation are all the doors open is it a good flow of air? It's a big one, yeah. Yeah, it is, it is big. And, you know, in Europe, countries like Germany got ahead of the game with this. They realised ventilation was a big thing months ago, whereas in the UK, we've only just kind of caught up with it. And uh, so, as always, COVID uh, provokes an enormous amount of debate, enormous amount of controversy, as from Monday in the UK, we enter what's called Freedom Day. Well, Freedom Day at about 50,000 cases of coronavirus uh, <laughs> uh, per day. But we'll see how it goes and we'll keep you posted, Temba. Uh, for no, now, we'll move on to, to story number four. Live in the eye. Story number four. Now, when you presented me this story, I have to be honest with you guys. I thought this was a non-story. This is Prince <laughs> Harry and Meghan Merkel have been awarded 500 quid, well, $700 as a prize for agreeing to just to having just two children, to be a family of four. And you've got, there's, 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 there's an organisation you know, wanting to save the planet by, by, by encouraging people to have fewer families. And they've awarded prizes to, to people around the planet from, in Kenya, in India, and well, these of many women who are doing this thing to, to, to keep the... Um, uh, to, to keep the, the population down. And my, the, the telltale thing for me for this was all the people that they're given awards to made a comment. The only people who didn't make a comment, guess who that was? <laughs> Must have been Harry and Meghan. Exactly. So the, I think this is a bit of a publicity because there's no, there's no comment by Meghan and Harry on any of the sites, any of the pages I read. So this is them, you know, an important organization bigging themselves up here by kind of nailing themselves to the Harry and Mer- the Harry. I mean, what, what, what I can't get, I mean, there's a couple of things I can't get my head around. First of all, Michael, I mean, I limited my family to two kids. Did I get a 500 quid? No, no, no. I mean, you could say I was there first and Harry and Meghan have just copied me, uh, but they, they're the ones that benefited. And then I, I'm also kind of thinking, what if, you know, what if they decided, oh, we'll have a third. Uh, or what, what they, yeah mistake a little, a little accident maybe a third one comes along are they going to be demanding the 500 pounds back do you think <laughs> and the plaque if they got one 
<laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. This this to I'm, me is sorry, Timber. So, no, I, I was going to say, as as a person who's just had one of uh, the these so to speak children, um, you know, my decision, or should I say, my wife and I's decision to have a second one is probably more dictated by finance more than anything else, because two is a lot more expensive than one, and three is an absurd amount, you know, in, to, in the in the modern age with with the price of things. So, you know, well done on deciding to only have two, but in my mind, that's a sound financial decision more so than anything else. And, you know, may, maybe, and this is maybe a cheeky comment, but if you don't have the royal funds, it might be. It might be. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe maybe, 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 maybe Harry's concerned that some of his lucrative, some of his lucrative employment contracts might not last forever. Maybe <laughs> Megan's thinking she's not going to be asked back for starring roles. So they're thinking, okay, we'll just keep it down to two. I'm tempted to say maybe they can afford to. You know, maybe they've got a few yeah. bob, you know, they've got enough money to afford to. And maybe... Even another one, but I'm not saying they would do that. They've, 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 I've said they've, they've shown the signals that four is enough. They've said it in the royal, but well, he's not a royal anyway. But he's, he's got the stardust of royalty. When he says these things, we're only going to, we're, we're going to be a family of four. A quick but question from my side. Him. A quick question from my side. So I, I understand uh, that uh, apparently um, William, um, Harry spoke to Jane Goodall at some point, and he spoke about how the population is is. Is we borrowing? I mean, the population of the planet is we're borrowing it, and so we know we have to treat it right for future generations. So I think that's maybe where any comment might have stemmed from, kind of thing. But um, the population control group or organization seems to be behind this sort of thing. Is that a big thing? I mean, are, are UK families uh, huge? From the size of the house, no, no. I mean, I think I think royals typically they like to have four kids or or more. Um, no, I'm not that not, not I move in royal circles. Phil, it's but. air and a spare. That's what you have. Air and a spare. So you need what two boys <laughs> that you sort. Um, but but no, I I I think the 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 kind of. Uh, two kids is a fairly normal uh normal total in the uk i'd need to go away and check the stats timber but uh c- c- certainly uh, from a uk perspective and western europe as a whole population uh growth is is way down the populations are aging quite a lot and Temple, it goes back to your point about the cost you know two is enough thank you you know <laughs> I've, I've seen, I've been to Putney and I've seen the, the, you know, rentals and stuff and to have a three or four bedroom house. Yeah. 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 So the old adage, two's company, three's a crowd. Um, yeah. I think we're, we're, that's a maxim we'll live by on five in the eye and we'll move on now to, to story number five. Five in the eye. This is about a guy called David Olson uh in in the in michigan in the united states and uh, he was uh smashing up the back step in his garden at the beginning of the month and he spotted a black ball in the sand uh, and it was a bowling ball like you'd see in a bowling alley which was pretty weird so what the hell was that doing in his backyard um turned out there were 160 of these bowling balls um, and he said it became mind-blowing. A few of them looked like alien eggs and uh, he said he felt like a paleontologist while he was dusting them off. Um, very odd discovery. Um, do you think there might be anything lurking in either of you your guy, you guys' uh, backyards that, that if, you, if you did a bit of digging, you would find? 
I'll I'll jump in there. So I live on a I live on a small holding, um, and it's old farmhouses. So none of the walls are straight. It's sort of the floor changes from every room. So I wouldn't be surprised if I dug up and found uh, some some skeletons or hopefully some treasures. Phil, I'm sorry. This is a nonsense. You know, this is a this is a, America discovers bowling balls under its house listen get real if you if it is a if you had proper history rome paris <laughs> london where you, you discover you know objects that go back to roman times the 18th century objects of value and of interest michael we'll have, have some know. history bowling balls uh-uh. these were brunswick these were official brunswick bowling balls <laughs> I, I believe oh, really? the church. <laughs> I, I, not that that means anything, but I believe there was a church that asked for a couple. Um, so of his hundred and how many did he end up with? I think one hundred and sixty odd. He gave the church ten. Oh right. <laughs> well, well, no, no, I commend him for that. But let me tell you, this how old the bowling balls were? Fifty years, sixty yeah, years. What, what you're saying, what you're saying, Michael, is if if an American dug up like a Sony Walkman or something, they'd be calling in the archaeologist from the local museum. Exactly. Is that right? History, man, has to have some substance, mm. some some kind of, some some backstory. But a bowling ball and history, you know. I'm sorry. Come back in a, a couple of hundred years. Then we'll have a look at your bowling balls. Phil, I just wanted to ask, because I tried to have a look around. I mean, other than him discovering the bowling balls, there was nothing else. It's not like uh, the house was built next to the first bowling alley or anything. That's the entirety of the story. Man finds bowling balls, and then that was it. Yeah, and and you sort of of wonder what quantity they needed to be in in order to justify a news story, don't you? Like, if he found six or seven, probably not, no. But 160, yeah, yeah, the local journalist is down there. Can I crack a, a joke here? Go on, Michael, if you have to, yeah. Right, you ready for this? It's five night temple, you have to warn people that the joke is coming just in case they don't get it. This story is a load of balls. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. <laughs> and on that, on, on that note... Five in the eye. Well, that's it for another episode. If you find anything unusual under your house, do let us know. Thanks so much for Temma for joining us again today and giving us the update from South Africa. It was my absolute pleasure as always, and I hope to be back again soon at some point. Well, that's it for episode 0314, but we'll be back to do it all over again in 0315 next week at the same time. If you want to see the stories we're considering or make a suggestion of your own, please do visit our Facebook page. For now, this is Phil Woodford in London wishing you well for the week ahead. And this is Timber Robin Behrens in Johannesburg saying goodbye. And this is me, Michael Ahuduru, saying as always, if you have been, thanks for listening. That's five in the eye, boxed up, put into the storage for another week. Goodbye. Five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?